You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. And welcome back to the Locked On Hornets Podcast with Walker Mail and Doug Branson. Thanks for sticking around with us. We just hit on Frank Kaminsky, one of the more interesting players to take a look at on this roster Now we'll transition, as promised, to the coaching search, Clifford's time here in Charlotte, and much more as we welcome Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer to the podcast. Rick, it's been a while. It's it's our first time talking on this platform. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Sure. We appreciate you joining us today. Um, A busy time for the Charlotte Hornets under new general manager Mitch Kupchak. They just received permission to interview yet another head coaching candidate and Portland assistant David Vanterpool. The list of potential candidates is a lengthy one. You got Spurs assistant Satori Messina, Ime Udoka. Uh, you have Jay Laranega with the Celtics. Dave Fisdale, of course, who coached the Grizzlies. Uh, Rick, what do you make of the coaching names circulating right now? What stands out to you in particular? Uh, that, you know, it, it's interesting to me in the sense that even though Mitch was perceived as the preferred candidate for general manager, they talked to an awful lot of people, and they did it in significant detail. Most of these interviews were not sort of, you know, going through the motions things. Um, I I think that that's important to keep in mind because, I mean, anything that happened, but I got a fairly strong indication that, you know, it could be made, you know, while they'd like to, to uh, get this done as soon as possible, I don't think they're in any rush to hire somebody. I don't think that they, you know, and, and, you know, frankly, they do have time right now. I mean, um, the next significant reason to have a coach would be to have him in Chicago for the, for the combine in mid May. And even if you didn't have that done, I mean, I don't think it'd be some huge handicap involved. Rick, does it matter Uh, with, uh, Oh, go ahead, Rick. No, no, that's okay. Go ahead. What I was just going to say, is there any other team? I mean, because the Knicks are also looking for a head coach because the Suns are as well. Uh, do you think that that might factor into them making a decision sooner rather than later? To be honest with you, I think some of the some of it is, is the momentum is just in the opposite direction. What I'm getting at is I think that there are probably, and I, and I don't know any, I don't know names, but um, I think that there are people who they want to interview who they haven't had an opportunity to interview yet because of those people, those, those assistant coaches complications with their current teams that are still in the playoffs. So I know what you're saying. There are a lot of teams out there looking for head coaches. It's only logical that the same names to some degree or another would, would pop up. I mean, obviously, you know, it's sort of the Dave Fisdale over America tour right, <laughs> right. now. <laughs> it is. And, and, and even though Mike Budenholzer has not been connected with the Hornets, and um, you know, he's obvious. The fact that he's in play is complicating some things. Um, Walker, just to give you kind of an illustration of what I'm saying, um, I think I think that Phoenix is a pretty attractive job because they, even despite their record, they have a lot of really young talent already, and really high level young talent already in place. I think when Buttonholzer took himself out of consideration for that job, and also when the Suns let it leak that Jay Triano, who really did, I thought did a really good job as the interim coach, is not going to get the permanent job, I think that created a very new di- dynamic where there are a lot of people, including Steve Clifford, by the way, right. um, who would find that job really appealing. 
I think that there is going to be some sort of cascading effect going on. How I think that when one job is filled, it's going might change to some degree the dynamic with some of the other ones that are open. And Rick Fisdale had just over a year with Memphis, but for the most part, he was praised for the job, of course, what he did. And does it say anything to you, though, that the Hornets are actually kind of interviewing guys and that are in the discussion of that, that don't have much NBA head coaching experience, that they're not recycling guys who have had those jobs before in the majority? You know, they have said really nothing since um, since Cliff was let go. I mean, we got a we got a very brief and frankly, you know, kind of superficial statement from Mitch. You know, thanking thanking Cliff for his service, and and you know, they never made him available in a press conference. They never made him available to anybody individually. You know, and that's all fine and good. Um, today, things changed a bit in that. Um, you know, I, I had an opportunity to interview um, Curtis Polk. You know, that's a name we don't hear a lot, but he is Curtis is an extremely important person in the organization. He's managing partner. He has managed Michael Jordan's investments uh, across the whole spectrum of things, all the way back to the the late 1980s. Um, Curtis is the managing partner of this team. He is the one person who has. Uh, you know, other than Michael, who has true power over both the basketball operation and the business operation. Um, I had a long talk with Curtis today, and I thought the most interesting thing by far he brought up, getting back to your question, is I said to him, okay, I know you're not going to give me a bunch of names, but tell me if there is a single overriding non-negotiable thing that you that this guy has to be. And Curtis went on and on about the importance of player development. Yeah, it's all and, it's all over the interview. It's a pretty it's it's yeah. It's, I mean, it's he, all he over. dropped that word into about <laughs> five different responses. I think you you know I think you noticed, and that's you know I he could not have he could not have made it more clear. And I thought it was interesting the way he put it that when he first started as a player agent, um, the NBA was the way he described it. It was kind of a seven month a year thing. And he didn't mean that people didn't, you know, that coaches and front offices didn't do anything the other five months, but it was different. And now, as he put it, it's every single bit as important that they see what's going on in the off season as far as developing players. And there are some, there, there obviously is some young talent um, to develop. I mean, obviously it's Malik Monk, but also they finally got a chance in Dwayne Bacon to do something really constructive with his, with his second-round pick. And Her, Willie Hernan Gomez, whether he ends up ever ends up a starter in this league, he certainly, because of his size and because he's got some ability you know, with the ball in his hands, he is worth the time and effort in the offseason to make those guys better. They have already on this team – lumps of clay and it's very obvious to me as you said he could not have interjected that thought into the conversation more over the course of of 15 minutes that you know that's going to be the one thing that you know if you don't have a really good answer to the question when Mitch says what are you going to do to make young players who are at the fringes of the rotation or not currently in the rotation what are you going to do to make them better and make them somebody who two years from now, you know, the Hornets can depend on. 
you're not getting this job. Yeah, that's, I thought, that's a non-negotiable issue, obviously. I thought it was a candid interview. I thought it was, of course, a very good one. Again, you guys can check it out at on Rick Bennell's Twitter feed at Rick underscore Bennell is where you can find him. Also, CharlotteObserver.com. Uh, Curtis Polk Curtis again. Is blunt. Yeah. Curtis is blunt. That's the best way to describe him. I think. A- absolutely. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can tell it in this interview. It was a very good one. It was. It was. A, it was a good. It was candid. It was telling. And again, I, I drew the same things that, of course, you did, Rick, when discussing Malik Monk and Dwayne Bacon. And it seems like they finally have a guy in the second round that can develop and even contributed a little bit this year. It, it seems. I think Dwayne has huge. You've heard me say this before right. on the radio. I think Dwayne has really significant potential i have no idea how he how he lasted until that 40th pick. well yeah and it seemed i mean it was a guy that did have some lottery consideration early with florida state but then again just kind of dropped and now again rick it's it seemed that he wanted it now it seemed like curtis polk not even player development and down the down the road a little bit with these two guys do you think that they want significant contribute excuse me significant contributions from both of these guys even as soon as next season that they want to see a big development yes i do but walker i think it's important to keep in mind that isn't just that isn't just the vision from inside i mean you know i i think you remember i know you've had bobby marks on your show a bunch and bobby is a wonderful resource because to have somebody who was knee deep in an nba franchise for as long as he was and now truly out of it and truly a, a media member more than willing to discuss how things really are done how the sausage is made when i asked bobby marks about Three months ago, when it was, you know, when I when I knew it was time to start writing about what a mess their salary cap was going to be, I said, Bobby, explain to me if you were general manager of the Hornets, what would the implications of this would be? And I loved it when Bobby <laughs> said, Well, Malik Monk and Dwayne Bankett are going to have to be a part of this franchise, a bigger part of this franchise next season. And I said. I said, why are you connecting the dots the way you are? And he said, because they're not going to have any other choice. Yeah. Because they're going to be in such a mess with their salary cap that they're that those people have to be in the rotation. It's an it's not it's going to be an economic you know it, it's going to be an economic certainty that these people have to get up and up to speed enough to be part of things next season for the new coach. So. Yeah, I mean, what what I'm getting at is that isn't just what the owners want to happen. The way Bobby describes it, barring something, some absolute miracle falling in your lap, a meteor falling to the earth that solves your your salary cap problems, these guys have to be in rotation next season. Uh, Rick Bennell in the Locked On Hornets podcast. Uh, Rick, in that interview with Curtis, did you get the sense that they weren't particularly happy with Steve Clifford's player development? Yes. They never said it, but they didn't have to. Right. I mean, there was, you know, what I'm saying is there's that, there's that cliche, but, you know, cliches are, are there because often there's merit in them. There's that cliche that, you know, whoever you fire is coach. If he was the tough guy, then you hire the, quote, player's coach. If he was tall, you hire the short guy. If he was, you know, you know if he was fiery, then you hire the calm guy. Um, and it, the fact that 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 term player development was interjected into it so much. I don't see how you could not assume that that meant that they felt that that was an area that they weren't happy with. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, Steve Clifford, who had been in Charlotte for five years, saw two postseason births is now gone after Kupchak decides to let him go. 
Uh, Rick, you interviewed him as well, and you released that on April 26th. I'll kind of go in chronological order with that interview, Rick. He mentions that you don't have to necessarily blow this team up, and I know Curtis Polk mentioned that as well, but maybe one or two moves makes a significant difference. Where do you lean, Rick? And if it is just one or two moves, does it have to be one of the moves, meaning trading a Kimbo or trading a Dwight, like one of those kind of, uh, one of those kind of big moves? Well, first of all, to lean back on that Bobby Marks interview I did all the way back in February, I agree with him that the problem is, um, you know, use a baseball analogy. You know, people talk about the buyers and the sellers at the trade deadline. Everybody's salary cap is so messed up in the NBA right now that there may only be like five teams in the whole league that are under the cap on July 1st. That's, I mean, that's amazing when you think about it. That shows how, how frankly, recklessly the league at large spent all that, all that new revenue two years ago. Um, so what I'm getting at is they may not have a choice. Yeah. They don't, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Is there may not be, you know, even if you were willing to do things that were draconian, you know, you know, take, you know, take player X and I'll give you two lottery picks. And I'm not saying any of that would happen, but what I'm saying is there might not, Bob, what Bobby was saying is there are going to be so few people willing to let you unload, you know, um, contracts on them in return for other assets that there may not be a marketplace this summer to do things like that. Having said that, um, I am, if I am wary of any strategy that sounds like minor changes are going to lead to significant changes in the pattern we're seeing. I'm sure you noticed that I asked two two separate questions in that interview with Curtis that dealt with just how significantly would things have to change for you to get out of, you know, I called it a treadmill. You know, they have... If you continuously end up in this quadrant of the standings, somewhere between the seventh best record in the East and the eleventh best record in the East, you're never good enough to get home court advantage, and you're never bad enough to, um, you know, to draft the Aitens. So, you know, are you know, you know, the the, the People much smarter and more experienced than me, um, you know, in the NBA have said for decades now that the most dangerous thing is not bad. The most dangerous thing is mediocre. Uh, again, Rick, in that interview that you had with Steve Clifford, you mentioned the possibility of him being another uh, head coach of another team as soon as this season. Uh, he doesn't mention health at all, Rick. It, it, guys that are even healthy seem to take a year off after a job, but he's ready to get back into it, it seems like. Is the health just simply not a problem for him right now? I don't think it is. I think that um, I think that he is a, a kind of born again in that regard. You know, what I'm saying is I think he real. You know, I think when the, his Walker, I think his cardiologist scared the hell out of him. Yeah, and he listened, and he's changed his ways. I, I'm I'm amazed, for instance, knowing Steve as I do, that during the season he swore off watching NBA games not involving his team at night. If you know Steve turning off his brain like that, that is as counterintuitive as, I mean, you know, you might as well tell, you know, Bugs Bunny to stop eating carrots. I mean, that is amazing. So, yeah. And I also think Steve probably saw those six weeks that he had no choice but to take off maybe as somewhat the hiatus 
that other people did. But I, but I understand the que- your question entirely. I mean, you know, kids of all people taking a year off and saying that it was really good and very useful and refreshing to them. You know, um, Tom Thibodeau is as one-dimensional, you know, like crazy sleep-at-the-office guy I know in coaching. And for him to say that that year hiatus was incredibly good for for his long-term coaching career, that says a lot about how these jobs can kill you. No, and even Jason Kidd right now, you read an article on him, and he said, you know, he's kind of enjoying it, and he's kind of enjoying at least the time away from the game right now. You see it, it's just, I don't know if it's weird, because coaches always have an itch to get back in the game, but it is interesting, especially with a guy coming off of the health problems that Steve Clifford did. Uh, Rick, uh, continuing on with that interview, did did you get the sense that he would take any head coaching job that was offered to him, or does it have to be one he's really particularly interested in? Um, First of all, Walker, I I don't know if I could definitively answer that question, but but here's what I would – here's the thing that came to mind when you asked it. I think Steve would rather be a head coach in any one of 30 situations right now than he would go back to being a lead assistant. Sure. you know, and and I'm not. So what I what I'm getting at is, I'm not saying that if somebody offered him a job that you know be you know with you know a terrible contract, no job security, no sense that he was getting support from his employers. I'm not saying that there wouldn't couldn't be a situation where he just would say, this sounds you know, like, like more trouble than it's worth. But I would think that Steve would be highly, I, I think Steve is highly motivated to want to get back into the business of being a head coach. Clifford also on the Woj pod, Rick, did you get a chance to listen to his comments at all? I did not. Yeah. It's first off. So basically the con, the comment, I think I took out of it. A lot of people took out of it was he mentions that big men are so concerned with expanding their offensive game rather than their defensive game. Certainly sounds like a comment on Dwight. At least that's what a lot of people kind of took from that. Obviously, Frank Kaminsky is a guy maybe that that could allude to as well. But did Clifford view that as one of the bigger issues or better yet? Do you view that as one of the bigger issues? Kind of echoing what Steve Clifford said on the Woj pod. You know, I I'm a little bit reluctant to 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 make some broad sweeping statement on that. And I haven't heard the context of what he said. I will say that. I think that there are people, and, and you know, I mean, um, I, I certainly think that there are big men who, you know, in their desire to do more different things offensively, I think they turn their back on the fact that it's really, really – but, but you know, Walker, this doesn't just apply to big men. I mean, I think that one of the things that – really valuable things I learned from covering Steve is that the days when you could hide somebody – who can score a bunch of points, the, the Antoine Walker syndrome. You know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, those people are dramatically harder to hide at the other end of the court. Um, the things that you used to do, the compromises that you used to make, it's not really acceptable. It's really harder in this more athletic you know, way where, and more skilled way to hide those people. And, and that's why, you know, to be, to be quite honest, um, the, the true two-way player, I love Jason Tatum. If, in almost any other uh, oh, he's been so class, good. He's been so good. He would be head and shoulders of, of almost any rookie class, but this has become obviously the golden rookie class. 
Jason Tatum is exactly what everybody's looking for. And quite frankly, the fact that Danny Ainge so locked into what that guy is is such a good example of the fact that Danny really understands on a, you know, on a three-dimensional chess kind of level what wins in this league. Rick, I've kept you long enough. I'll get you out of here on this one. We were discussing Frank Kaminsky um, on this podcast, and he's still a very frustrating guy to a lot of fans. And are we to the point now, though, Rick, where uh, the jury is out on Frank? I feel bad for Frank because I think his biggest problem is he's a prisoner of his own head. Yeah. Well, and, know, and again, real quick, the story and, I, right. I don't Go know ahead. if you saw the column I wrote right after, right after the season was over, but I love the fact that Frank's really honest about this, that, that self-consciousness and self-confidence really has been an issue his whole life. And, you know, what, I mean, here's what I'm saying. Walker, as somebody who's been around these people for 30 years, there are a lot of times when I walk out of NBA locker rooms just rolling my eyes thinking, <laughs> you know, figure out how to develop a little humility in life, pal. You know, what I'm saying is some of these people, they, you know, they, they think that because they make a lot of money and because they're very skilled at something that, you know, they don't, they don't have to live by, you know, society's rules. Frank, in some ways, is just the opposite. I mean, he there there are times when his level of self confidence and self consciousness is painful to watch, and I feel for him. And I hope I hope he gets over that because I find Frank, um, and I and I would guess you do too, because right. I think you and I both appreciate sort of in, intellectual, clever people. Frank's a really interesting person um, in a way that goes way beyond basketball. And I root for those people. No, I, I do too. I hope Frank finds a way to figure it out. And because you can, you can absolutely see it is visible out there. The lack of confidence in ways that you just don't see from a lot of other NBA players out there. Some, they, I'll tell you something. If you took a motor drive camera and you took a picture of him every single second that he was on the court, from the time he's on until the time he's off, and you saw the variety of agonized expressions on his faces, you you know you you'd feel bad for him, wouldn't you? No, absolutely. I mean, you again, you can see it easily. I, I I agree wholeheartedly. The confidence is something that's just brought up so much with Frank. You hope that he figures it out. At least, I, at least I hope so. I, I would imagine, uh, at least for the Charlotte Hornets' sake as well. I, I would imagine a lot of people hope so. Uh, always fantastic stuff. Thanks so much, Rick. It was good to talk to you. We'll talk to you again soon. Walker, you know I really enjoy the good questions you ask. So anytime I can help. Thanks so much, Rick. Again, a big thanks to Rick Minnell for joining us on the Locked On Hornets podcast. You can check out his interview with Curtis Polk. Very good, very candid with him. You can catch that on charlotteobserver.com, also on his Twitter feed, at Rick underscore Bunnell. This is the Locked On Hornets podcast with Walker Mail and Doug Branson. Thanks for listening.